The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We carry on through our day as if everything is just fine. But for many of us, it's merely a mask covering up all the emotion simmering just under the surface. Welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership with Shamin Sadiq. In this program, you'll hear from others who face the same adversities in life as the rest of us. But these individuals have redirected their energies to creating extraordinary ideas and concepts. Find out what they are and what's behind the motive. Now, here is your host, Shamin Sadiq. Hello, and welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm your host, Shamin Sadiq, and you're listening to us today on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. So today's topic is the grace of not knowing. And in the spirit of not knowing, I have uh, been not knowing how to launch this show. And of course, I have been sitting with this topic, as is my process. So I thought what I might do is share a little bit of the process that I use uh, for the show, and then I'll uh, introduce our guests. So about 10 days before each show, I ask the guest or guests in this case that I've invited to join me to have a conversation with me. And what we do in that conversation is we talk about the show, we talk about the logistics, and then we talk about our intention. What is our intention for the show? And from that, we write the episode description that then gets posted and uh, used to invite you all to come and listen to it. And what I've noticed in myself is that that process really launches me into the topic. Um, I feel a lot of anxiety sometimes before the show because I don't write down all the questions that I want to ask my guest and I don't really have much of a plan for the show except for this intention that we've set together. And what I've noticed is that uh, in the day or in the hours up approaching the show, I start to marinate, if you like, in that intention. And so this grace of not knowing, which is today's topic, has been really uh, having its way with me in the last few hours. One of the things I've noticed is that I'm often afraid. Um, I'm afraid of the not feeling safe to speak my truth. And I know this will be surprising because those of you who know me know that I'm, I'm quite authentic and quite courageous. And there's still a part of me that feels afraid. And in the conversation that I had with our guests today, um, about a week ago, we talked about this notion of voice. And one of the messages that came in that conversation was that it is safe. It is safe. And that has really allowed me a lot of freedom. And so I've been thinking about this not knowing and trying to not know and knowing that I have many attempts to know. And it led me to read something that I'd like to share with you. I've been reading this fantastic book called 7,000 Ways to Listen, and it's by uh, an author by the name of Mark Nepo. And he talks about the three covenants of love. 
And I really, um, I, I bring this in now because this is how I feel about the two guests that I have with me today. Uh, they are Dan Holden and Jim Anderson, two amazing human beings who I am so blessed to be in relationship with and to sit in community with. Uh, they are engaged in the work of love, and I believe that I am too. So let me read you what Mark Nepo says about these three covenants. There are three covenants that keep us engaged in the work of love. To begin with, when we see something true and beautiful in someone, it is not the work of love to change them or force their growth in our direction. It is the work of love to create conditions by which what is true and beautiful in all we behold can grow and blossom, bringing forth its deepest nature. At the same time, the work of love depends on giving others, especially young people, a sense of safety in the world, nurturing their confidence to lean into life and the unknown, not away from these eternal resources. Still, being human, we constantly slip from integrating our experience to being consumed by our experience. We move almost daily from having our fear, pain, and worry live in us to living within our fear, pain, and worry. So the third covenant of love is to keep each other company when we're drowning in our experience and awash in our feelings until it can, all can right-size until our experience and feelings can once again sustain us. These covenants exercise the muscle of compassion we call the heart. This is uh, exactly the experience I have with these two men, friends, um, beloved ones. And so I am so pleased to welcome you, Jim and Dan, to Stories from the Heart of Leadership today. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for that uh, beautiful reading, too. It's beautiful. Perfect. Delightful to be with you, Charmaine. So you two are up to something really amazing, and um, it's, uh, I'll, I'll say a little bit about it, and then I want you to tell us about it. But um, this 80-season vision that you have for your what you call the Refiner's Playground, which you two have convened. And the thing that I love most about this from my perspective is I've never actually attended a refiner's playground in person, but I feel like I've been the, uh, one of the beneficiaries of whatever it is that you're up to together, because I certainly feel like, um, you're working your magic and it's working its way with me as well, even though I haven't been there. So tell us a little bit about this, this vision and how it came about and, and what you're up to. Jim and I uh, had dinner together several years ago, probably four years ago now, maybe longer. Um, and over the course of our dinner, we uh, talked about our future things and things that we wanted for our future. And we were uh, both uh, surprised, I think, to find that we both had a desire for a certain kind of community that we wanted to uh, convene and be a part of, a community uh, with high trust and a deep connection with each other, but a community that would allow us to live with each other over an extended period of time. Um, and so and the, the community would be one really devoted to sharing what we were experimenting with, 
and learning about our own essential nature. So it wasn't so much a seminar or even a retreat. It was really a community, uh, as we saw it then, designed to come together and tell stories about what we were learning, what we had come to know through our own direct experience rather than through some reading or concepts or model or framework that we had been exposed to. So that was that was one of the big things that we discovered and we found that we were we we talked about it in language that was almost identical to each other, even though we had never shared that before. So we both got curious. Wow. And it was uh it was a really interesting uh I think when we noticed the language being the same, uh, it was the first sense that what we were first both sharing that we were being called to inquire in with had deep resonance. Uh, and, and when you look at the grace of not knowing, it was really interesting because the whole process of how this vision and this experience has come to life has been inquiring to see what's there and not really clear what's there. And then we found that the words we were using carried a similar resonance almost to the exact use of the same word. And and when we felt that and began to sit with that and wonder what what's the energy that's gathering here, what's it calling us to, what's our capacity to say yes to it, it was really kind of fun as we began to just sit with that and let it find its its way through us. Uh, it it became evident that uh, this wasn't a a retreat or a couple of day getaway. It it was a um, sustainable community that was wanting to take shape. And in one of our early gatherings, it was really quite profound when um, all of a sudden the the theme of the four seasons started to show up as a sustainable system that really lives this grace of not knowing in every moment. And we had a shared, compelling picture of having two-day gatherings every season for 80 seasons. And it was quite profound when that realization came forward because... uh, it was asking Dan and I to make a commitment. And when I looked at all the commitments I've made, the only two commitments that are more significant and longer standing than that were the commitment to marry and the commitment to raise children. Um, And so it was a profound commitment. And at the same time, um, it wasn't, it was almost like it chose us as opposed to we chose it. I could not not do it. Uh, it was so compelling. There's um, a few things that I'm noticing here that I want to I want to go back and just learn a little bit more about. You talk about both of you mentioned this language, languaging or language that you both used that you'd never you'd never realized you were both saying this in the same way before. Um, what, tell us what some of that language is that you found together. Well, one of the uh, things that was immediately obvious. To us in that dinner conversation, and we've talked about it since then, was that uh, neither one of us, as much as we felt compelled to uh, to convene or be part of this uh, refiner's playground, as it came to be called, 
neither one of us thought that the role of facilitator um, aligned with how we saw ourselves in that group. Mm. We saw ourselves more as co-explorers or co-guides who walk alongside others, but never in front of others. Mm, okay. um, that we were we we were there to actively learn as well, and not to not to teach or not even to facilitate. And so we were both surprised by that um, fairly specific um, distinction that we were led to, to make. And both of us have long years of experience facilitating. <laughs> we, it's really funny because we, we had this sense of we were being called to convene a community, and yet all of our training, every bit of our training about convening retreats and meetings and, and team work, all put us in a role of teacher, facilitator, coach, guide, and, and it was so fascinating because what was calling us here was clearly convene, extend the invitation. But the moment the gathering begins, we want it to be invisible about who convened the meeting, who's leading the meeting, what's, what was trying to get accomplished at the meeting. It's just a collective with whoever's there in person or in spirit inquiry into what's true about each of us and about the nature of how life is. And what's fascinating about that is we were both compellingly clear about that and had no idea how to do that. <laughs> so it was right away we're thrown into this not knowing. And um, what I was caught with as we collaborated in this is there was a hidden invisible grace about the not knowing that I was not accustomed to. And when I was trying to do group meetings before this, any time the timeline got off or the agenda got uh, derailed, I would really get pretty tense. But in this case, there was this grace, this flow of a willingness to enter not knowing like I had never done before. Uh, and I think that, for me, is one of the gifts of the collaboration with Dan and what he brings his capacity to trust this invisible grace and go with it has been inspiring for me. You but know, I, one of the I've, things I've I... also had to wrestle, oh. I think more than you, Jim, at times, at least initially, with really not knowing, if I'm not facilitating, if I'm not teaching, guiding, coaching, and all that, who am I and what the hell am I doing there? <laughs> what, what value am I bringing? That was, that was yeah. the... Uh, a fairly significant um, not knowing that I had to walk through before I could learn to rest in the place that you're describing. And and how have you come to rest in that place? I mean, I'm just thinking about this from um, there's a there's a mystical uh, magical essence to this as you speak about it, and I'm trying to imagine myself as someone who has never heard of this before. Um, going, okay, if I'm not my role, if I'm not what I do, but I'm asking people to come together, then what am I? What do I, what am I supposed to do? Like, how have you, how did you come to this peacefulness with all of this? I think one of the things for me is that came up in that dinner is we were both exhausted at playing the game of continuous improvement, uh, future vision based goal setting. 
and and we we were both sharing the exhaustion and the and the awakening realization in each of us at the time that we'd spent fifty years uh pretending to be something we're not in a scarce world that doesn't exist, buying the idea that something other than what is would be better later. Then we'd bust our backside to build the new capacities and capabilities and make the improvements and hone the capacity to get to that promised future. And when it would manifest, the one thing we both found in common is it never satiated like it promised to when it wasn't and was immediately uh, vaporized by something else that wasn't that needed to be there. (laughs) And we were just plain exhausted, sick and tired, no longer willing to play. We were done taking one more step in the direction of the fulfillment of a future goal that would fulfill in a way that the current present moment doesn't already. And so there was this cathartic readiness to say enough and to surrender deeply into not knowing because at that time, 99% of who I thought I was and how I thought life was isn't or wasn't. And so to surrender to this not knowing required that I let go of the vast majority of who I thought it was and how I thought it was. But to not surrender was no longer an option. Right. Yeah. And my... So, uh, in my notes before the show, uh, Shamin, I wrote down the words, disgusted with my own drama. <laughs> yeah. So I'm joining Jim and what he said. We both realized in that conversation that we were in similar places. And, and this conversation happened somewhere around shortly after the death of a younger sister of mine from cancer. And I was with her at the end. Mm. And her death uh, really... Um, upset me. I wasn't quite ready to um, let her go. But I I came out of that experience with a deep, intuitive knowing that I needed to uh, begin a much more radical inquiry uh, into the nature of reality. I needed to find, to discover, to experiment with, and to find ways of working with um, just very difficult circumstances, not not just death and dying, but difficult um, situations with which we are faced. And and so I, and Jim had already begun his experimentations, and I was well into mine at that point. And so the this the refinery's playground became a place to uh, share our experiments with each other. And um, one of the things we quickly realized, we talked about this early on, Jim, but after the first uh, two or three sessions, we began to get emails and notes back from people who had had attended talking about just significant shifts in their own lives that they attributed to the conversation in the refiner's playground. And I was clear that while it was exciting to hear news about what was happening with them, it was obvious to me that we had never actually talked about any of those things in the session. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and we, I began to wonder whether our, the only agenda we have is to really come in and prepare to talk about 
our own essential nature and the, the ridiculous ways we try to be something other than that. So from the, the, the onset, we're talking about essential reality. Um, and it began to seem that if we just talked about that, a lot of the superficial chatter in our lives would sort of sort itself out, would take care of itself. And that's kind of what I'm seeing. And we've been seeing it from the beginning. We, we need to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like, to, I'd like to hear more about what you're noticing in that respect. So we'll take a break now and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Stories from the Heart of Leadership, and I'm your host, Shamin Sadiq. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Could your business be doing better? In today's economy, results are dependent on your leaders. And you know, effective leaders outperform ineffective leaders every time. The Leadership Circle Profile Assessment enhances effectiveness in leadership. It's the only 360 that reveals what's going on with your manager, why it's happening, and what actions to take for positive change. Want to improve business? We have the system and the breakthrough tools to make it happen. For a free demo, visit theleadershipcircle.com. If you're single or in a relationship, love can be hard to find. That's right, even if you are in a relationship. Listen for Conscious Soulmates with Susan Ortolano to find out more. You'll learn how to find your way into a meaningful relationship or to make the one you're in a successful one. Through the wisdom of Susan and her guests, you'll discover what inside yourself is keeping you from being happy and in love. Conscious Soulmates is broadcast live every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. If you have a question or comment, or just want to find out more about our program, please send Shamin an email. Her email address is shamin at anjaliLeadership.com. That's S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at A-N-J-A-L-I leadership.com. Now, back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Welcome back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm your host, Shamin Sadiq, and I'm joined today by my, my dear friends, Jim Anderson and Dan Holden, who also happen to be sponsors of Stories from the Heart of Leadership. And while we're on the topic of sponsors, I want to acknowledge as well my other sponsor, the Full Circle Group and the Leadership Circle. Uh, it feels so wonderful to be so well-supported uh, by my community of professional colleagues. So thanks to all who have played a part in making this show a reality. So now, uh, Jim and Dan, you were talking about, gosh, so many things before the break. I, I was thinking about this, um, this willingness to surrender and this not being able to not surrender that you spoke about, Jim. And Dan, your, uh, how the death of your sister prompted you to make this radical inquiry and even those two those two things are seemingly so opposite you know uh surrender and radical inquiry and you came together and began to notice that all that was really required was a conversation about 
our essential selves. Mm. What, help me, um, tell me more about what you're noticing and, and what this all means. And I know that you have a lot of people who are coming over and over again to join you um, in these seasonal refiner's playgrounds. Um, so there's there's something amazing that you're creating here together. What What is that? Well, it could be that they're coming for the food and drink. <laughs> we don't know for sure. We've never dared to ask. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the, the whole theme of Refiner's Playgrounds, I mean, is I think right at the core here. And if, when you look at the, what we were tired of and ready to surrender and could not not surrender was the idea that, an improved version of something later would be better than what is now, and the realization that every effort thousands of times through a lifetime that had never satiated itself turned us inward to begin to inquire, what if, what if we just suspended all of the conditioned ideas, beliefs, claims to know, and labels that we had placed on ourselves and identified ourselves as? And we just suspended all that and turned inward to find out what's already true about us that's always been true about us that I humorously say has been uh, patiently waiting for my sorry self to stop pretending I'm something else. <laughs> and what if, what if rather than trying to get to another place in time to be an improved version that will be better, what if we just started to return home completely to the truth of our essential nature that we're finding out is extraordinary or beyond our capacity to imagine and just began to cooperate with acknowledging the presence of that, trusting that, and allowing it to find fuller creative expression through us. And so what we, with the refiners uh, part of our analogy is that if you take a piece of raw ore, it's mostly dross. And when you first first put ore into intense refining heat, all that's not true essential precious metal vaporizes in the heat of the flame. And the beauty is that the precious metal literally turns to a liquid and begins to flow with grace and ease and a higher level of purity. So we really loved how all of these life experiences that weren't going so well, that were full, full of contraction and difficulty and resistance, were actually having tremendous benefit in terms of what wasn't true was beginning to be freed up by the heat and the resistance that we were bringing to life ourselves. And and what's really interesting in the refining process for me is that at some point that piece of ore goes from 90% dross to at least half dross, half precious metal with enough trips into the refining heat. And what's interesting, at some point, it's 51% precious metal and 49% dross, at which the whole game shifts, where when you go into the refining heat, you're no longer terrorized by that which is vaporizing that you're identified with and your false beliefs about yourself that aren't true. You're in awe of what's being released in this heat. It's that first glimpse of our essential nature unimpeded by our beliefs and claims to know and images. And the moment for me that I had my first glimpse of that, the rest of my life was in service to coming home more fully to that. 
Well, the, the intensity of that metaphor we found out was just too much. Uh, nobody wants to come to a party to go into the refining heat. <laughs> and, and we knew parts there's no grace in that, too. And so the image of a five-year-old girl playing on a playground in a complete state of wonder, we thought, what if we brought that energy right into the heat of the toughest refining fire that we're in in life? So we mixed a playful inquiry into the heat of the refining fire in a state of not knowing to see what would come out of it. And now the the metaphor of a playful inquiry with the spirit of a five-year-old girl on a playground full of wonder brought right into the intense moment of the heat that relieves us of all that we're not and awakens all that we are in a more powerful, purified, more conscious way so that it can guide us and be creatively expressed. There's um, a parallel that I'm noticing in myself today. And um, I told you when we were talking about this show that it's about you talking about your what you're up to. And it's also for me. So here's the part that's for me. I, I've been thinking about this too. I mean, there's, there's a way in which I've done a lot of work to create the kind of life that I have right now, right? I had strong intention about becoming a leadership consultant and an executive coach and making a practice and being successful. And I have a thriving practice most of the time. I mean, over the year, it becomes, a, it's a thriving practice over the year. There are moments in the, along the way that it can be scary at times. But I started to think about this, uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or this morning, um, and I thought, what if all of this isn't for this? Like, I was thinking that this was the end, or this was the vision that I wanted to create, right? And now I'm here in it, living it, loving it, so happy, and realizing this is not the end, like, this is not it, and it began, I feel like the, the word I've been using to describe how I'm feeling today is sideways. I feel like I'm starting to be able to look at all of this, or I'm, in, I'm invited to look at all of this sideways. And when I look at this sideways, I say, maybe this was all for something else, like, but I don't know what that is. And I think that's the beauty of the not knowing part. And the, the, the first reading you did at the front end of the call, the first covenant was, See what is true and beautiful in all we behold yes. right now. Yes. And that's the, Marie, that's the game changer. Wow, what if we start to do that? Rather than contract and resist, we open to see what's true and beautiful in what actually is before us. Yes. In this it's, moment. It's one of the, um, your comments, Shamin, confirm the essence of my, um, experiments up to date, um, it, all of my experiments, and Jim may agree with this as well, all of my experiments begin with the capacity to, to suspend the idea that I know what I'm looking at. Yeah. So in my life, uh, you know, we've got dogs and horses and uh, all kinds of wild creatures, including young people running through the house all the time. And when someone is sick or ill or injured, or when there's a difficult client meeting coming up, or a car that won't work, you can name the set of circumstances, but 
to the extent that I can enter those moments and suspend the idea that I think I know what I'm looking at and be open to the possibility that there may be other dynamics at play that I cannot see, then uh, to, to the extent that I can do that, um, all kinds of extraordinary things can happen. I've told the story of visiting my daughter in New England a couple of years ago in the winter, and I no sooner had landed than I heard on the news reports of a, a big winter storm bearing down on that part of uh, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And uh, my daughter was uh, concerned that it would disrupt the amount of time we had with each other. So as I went to sleep that night, I, I imagined the storm rolling in over uh, New England, and I imagined that it wasn't actually a storm. It was just light and information, energy, that had morphed into something that looks like a storm. And I asked, what would, what would be helpful here? Because my, my intention was to have a good quality visit with my daughter. And I saw, to my surprise, a, uh, the bow of a ship plowing through uh, open water on the ocean. It was very vivid. And um, I said to myself, my spirit, I said, well, if I knew what to do with that, what would I do with that bow? And the response was equally clear. Uh, uh, implant the bow over this part of New England. Let the storm um, um, uh, separate and go around it. Let the bow cut through the storm. And so I did that. And I went to sleep. Woke up next morning, of course, I ran to the windows to see uh, what life looked like outside, and to my surprise, uh, very little snow had fallen. I turned the TV news on immediately, and and wouldn't you know it, there was a Doppler radar image uh, on the weather uh, channel, and it showed actually showed the storm dividing as it moved through Connecticut. Oh on wow. either side of the state. And then as it moved into Vermont and New Hampshire, it came back together again and ultimately dissipated over the north. My apologies to people in Vermont and New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was like, holy moly, that is amazing. And so that's, that's the, the kind of, the kind of uh, experience I've had uh, when I can enter in a state of not knowing or not not really being clear that I'm really looking at the only reality there is. Yeah, I'm me, convinced we're only seeing part of what's actually there. So when, for me, when Jim talks about really um, inquiring more deeply into the present, it, it takes on this added significance for me because there's a lot more going on than we can see and hear. The... the the way that I would say what I've just heard you say is a willingness to consider that this isn't all there is and this isn't the only reality, yeah. whatever this is. Yeah. Um, and I, I sense that it takes, um, I don't know what it takes. It takes something to be able to suspend, suspend my judgment about what I think it is. Um, faith? Uh, letting go, surrender, I'm not sure. There's been a real uh, fascinating um, 
kind of exercise that has shown up in this for me, um, and that is that I note that when I contract and resist what is, it's evident that I'm pretending to be something other than I am. And my my first three triggers to contracted resistance are judging, needing to fix, and needing to change what is. Uh, yeah. uh, and I'm just in absolute awe as I now playfully just start to notice. Can I notice and catch myself when I have the urge to judge or to fix or to change? Mm. And it's really interesting because if I can notice the urge, I can act on that urge, and then I can watch what effect it has on now. Uh, if I can suspend the urge and just let what is play out completely and see what happens, now there's a there's this quality of it's my knowing self that contracts in the form of a judgment or an urge to fix or an urge to change, and if I just suspend it and let whatever is play out to see where it goes on its own, uh, it's pretty magical what starts to show up. Well, when we come back from the break, let's talk more about how you've been personally impacted by the work that you've been doing and by these gatherings that you've convened. We'll be right back. Um, This is Stories from the Heart of Leadership, and I'm Shamin Sadiq. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Could your business be doing better? In today's economy, results are dependent on your leaders. And you know, effective leaders outperform ineffective leaders every time. The Leadership Circle Profile Assessment enhances effectiveness in leadership. It's the only 360 that reveals what's going on with your manager, why it's happening, and what actions to take for positive change. Want to improve business? We have the system and the breakthrough tools to make it happen. For a free demo, visit theleadershipcircle.com. What does success mean to you? Is it being just like the person on the other side of the fence where the grass is supposedly greener? We harbor too many feelings of envy and suppressed anger targeted at others, and it's holding us back from our success. Tune in to Wealthy Thoughts with Richard Levy. Just by listening, you'll be empowered to make positive lifestyle changes to live the successful life that you deserve to live. Wealthy Thoughts can be heard every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. If you have a question or comment, or just want to find out more about our program, please send Shamin an email. Her email address is shamin at anjaliLeadership.com. That's S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at A-N-J-A-L-I Leadership.com. Now, back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Welcome back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. 
Before we continue our conversation, I want to tell you about some upcoming events. Uh, actually, tomorrow on May 6th, I will be holding a power circle in Chicago. And there's still time to uh, let us know if you'd like to join us. Go to my website at AnjaliLeadership.com. That's A-N-J-A-L-I Leadership.com. Click on the events tab and you can register there. As well, I wanted to tell you about the Leadership Circle Profile Certification coming up uh, again this week in Chicago, um, June 11 to 13 in the Washington, D.C. area, and October 1st to 3rd in Denver. I'm teaching all three of these, and if you would like to come join me, if you're a professional coach uh, or a leadership development professional, come and join us and get certified in these powerful assessments. So, Dan and Jim... We were, we were talking about how uh, this is beginning to impact you, what you're noticing about yourselves. And, and before I ask you to, to say more about that, I think these three covenants, well, even the first one, has just been really... Um, it, 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 you're right, Jim, it does say it all. When we see something true and beautiful in someone, it's the work of love to create the conditions by which that which is true and beautiful can grow and blossom. I mean, that's all it is. It's not about trying to fix something or make something go away or blame someone else for it or any of the the strategies that I know I've used in the past and can still use today. It really is just about how can we create these conditions so that it can bloom, whatever that beauty and truth is. I love that. I love that. Beautiful. And I have to say, uh, I know I was going to ask you a question about w- what the impact is on you, but the impact on me, I, I want to share of of you both. See, I was wondering if it was just because we're, we're all friends or if it's because you've set this intention or maybe it's a combination and maybe it doesn't really matter. But that is, that is exactly, when I read that, I said, that is, that is how I feel in your circle. That's when you phone me up, Jim, and say, here's what I noticed about you today. That's exactly what you're doing. Um, so I just, I want you to hear it live and from me. This is the impact that you have on me, is that you help me to create the conditions so that I can blossom. And I can't think of a more beautiful gift to receive. Ever. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I... I uh... I think in this inquiry that we've been in, uh, the, when the, the attention goes to being more open and more allowing of what is to be, I have to both open and know and allow my essential nature to be present with what is and to allow what is to be present. And the Dalai Lama had a quote a, way, a while back where he said, human beings have three fundamental needs to be seen, to be heard, and to be loved. Mm. And that, uh, for me, has just been uh, a phenomenal guide on how to be present. And what I was amazed with is that this call to being true to our essential nature, I first have to be able to see and to hear and to deeply love my essential nature and then allow that to be of service in seeing and hearing and loving the essential nature in another. And and it's really interesting to me because it's when life really serves up major challenges like physical disease. I've had a battle with 
uh, severe heart disease at the age of six. I had a loss of a kidney at about the age of 35, all all due to physical manifestations of being out of sync with who I truly am. And And what's amazing to me is how this capacity to see and to hear and to love my essential nature, I'm finding things as challenging as life-threatening disease are actually divine gifts that are inviting me to notice where I'm disconnected from my essential nature and inviting me to come home to it. So this practice of seeing and hearing and loving my essential nature and then allowing it to be of service, seeing, hearing, and loving the essential in others uh, is a practice that's been born out of this that has served me to navigate life-threatening disease, uh, really challenging work-related situations. And I'm just so deeply grateful because of what it continues to open in me and in life's experience. There was an incident last week, a terrible incident in Calgary, where five university students were stabbed at a party by a fellow student. And uh, nobody really quite understands what, why this happened or what happened. And um, this morning in the paper, there was a picture of some of the families that the, the funerals are happening now for these, these young people. And as I looked at the picture this morning, I said, this, this particular mother kind of caught my eye. And I said, what, what, how will this set her life on a trajectory that she never expected? You know, like what will come from this, uh, this deep, loss, this incredible sorrow, this shock, how will this now set her life on this, on this other, I don't know if it's other path, but the word trajectory just keeps coming up for me, um, that she didn't, never would have, never could have imagined. And I see that, I see that a lot. I, I read the paper every day and I just pay attention to the world around me. And I see a lot of, a lot of people who are operating on purpose the purpose came from something that happened. So when you talk about life-threatening illnesses, and Dan, you talk about you know the death of your sister. These things um, we encounter them, and then and then our I don't know how to how to say this right, but it's almost like we incorporate them, and and then as we continue walking home to who we really are, we we bring all of this with us, and it it takes us somewhere. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Really does. And yet the mothers and fathers of these uh, kids who were um, killed, their work um, remains the same. And going back to Jim's comment a moment ago, their work is still to uh, see, hear, and love uh, the places in themselves that have been wounded and touched by this episode. Mm. But somehow, um, the work we do on ourselves frees us up, but also somehow liberates everyone else as well. And um, what I've noticed in myself at times, and in colleagues of mine, is that the tendency is to get ourselves all wrapped up with what's happening in the world and we lose a connection with ourselves and the ongoing work of um, waking up to who and what we actually are 
And if we do that, I've got to hope that that's, that's enough. And that's where I think all of these life experiences from extraordinary joy to the most intense grief we could ever imagine and everything in between are all catalytic in service to us returning home and waking up to our essential nature. And from that place, we can be of service in a way that I don't know how I would have found my way home to the degree I have without those really challenging situations. Um, and and it's really uh, doubly challenging when you challenge yourself to open to that possibility right when you're in the midst of the emotional trauma of it. But I am now seeing that it's possible to remain open in a state of open allowance, even in the in the throes of that kind of intense emotional, physical uh, trauma, and and that as a response is I'm finding consistently more healthy than my usual uh, try to tuck it away and pretend it isn't, or demand that it be different than it already is. Yeah or taking my exasperation with both of those strategies not working and starting to puke it on other people. I know those three things never work. I'm in awe of how opening and allowing what is to be works in a way that I never could have imagined. I had a just a small taste of that uh, on the weekend. I was um, disappointed because I wanted uh, I wanted some I wanted something to be different than how it actually was, and I was driving with my kids to my mom's place out in the country, and I was feeling this like I, I could feel this simultaneously uh, um, joy. I'm with my kids. We're going to my mom's. I love going there. It's awesome. It's a beautiful day. You know, it's starting to warm up here. Great. And then at the same time, this in, like pain in my heart. Because there was one part of it that wasn't the way I thought it was going to be. Something had changed at the last minute. And um, I just stood there. I I drove watching these two parts, and there were probably more than two parts present, but at least those two parts, just watching that they were there, just noticing that they were there. And my urge to um, lash out because of my disappointment was strong. And in some ways I did. I, I named, I voiced my disappointment and I, I voiced it in a, maybe a way that was a little less uh, thoughtful and compassionate than I could have been. But, um, but I watched this whole thing in motion and I was able to, even in the midst of it, even though my heart was aching, I could also stand beside myself and say, oh, this is just that thing that happens. Um, it it doesn't change anything about who you are. Right, it doesn't right. change anything about this day, you know. But you make up that it does, and that's where the heart starts, you know, to hurt. Yeah. See, I I think that that piece of work you do on yourself in your car, watching yourself in this uh, moment of uh, distress, that's probably more significant than any. Uh, developmental action plan you could put together. <laughs> yeah. most of, I mean, all of my fear and angst, it seems to me as I delve into myself over these uh, 
number of years, all of my fear is built around my false belief that I'm a body and that I'm a self. So all the concerns wow. about career, money, health, illness, family, relationships, that's all body-related. Yes. And um, it has to do with my, uh, my um, made-up notion of who I think I am. And then to your point, if I add imagination and memory to this, then I have all the ingredients I need to be in some ridiculous drama for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know? oh, that's so, so great. So I. That's so great. What so if I'm not a body? What if I, you know, what if I'm not a body? And what if the self I spend so much time defending and and uh, debating, whether that's also made up? Wow. Um, so you start looking at larger patterns, like Jim is describing, and uh, uh, Shamin, you're just watching yourself on stage, as it were. Yeah. Do this for uh, some period of time, and you begin to uh, rightfully wonder um, who the self is that's going through all these experiences. Because inherent in both of your stories, there's still there's still some aspect of you observing all of this. Yes. In yes. a uh, calm, steady, somewhat detached way. Yeah. And my inquiry of late is really around. Okay, so who's watching this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just am so appreciative to both of you for joining me here on the show today. And I know that our listeners have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for being with me. So great to be with you, Charmaine. Thanks for this extraordinary opportunity. It's been a real joy, Charmaine. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And to my listeners, um, look forward to next week's show. Until then, I leave you with this extraordinary conversation to allow it to simmer in the pot and see where it takes you. This is Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm Shamin Sadiq. Thank you so much for being here. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today for Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Shamin Sadiq will be back next Monday with another extraordinary guest at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you'll come back as well. Have a terrific week. And remember, you are not alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.